welcome to the first aerospace testing podcast. Uh, just as a short introduction, I have with me a colleague of mine, uh, Tom Stone, who is the editor of uh, a magazine uh, called Traffic Technology International, and therefore has an interest uh, in the area that is being discussed by my interviewee to follow, uh, who is the CEO of a company developing a flying car called the Pal V Liberty. Uh, the Pal V Liberty has been in development for uh, around 12 years uh, and only now is approaching certification for its use on the road and then within the next year, certification for its use uh, in the air. Uh, technically, it's a, what they call a, a gyrocopter, so um, it uh, can't stall in the air, importantly, which, as you will learn in the interview, is an important aspect of, of, it, of its design. Um, so uh, we've, we seem like we've been waiting for, for the flying car possibly for, I don't know, 50, 60 years, don't you think, Tom? It's certainly before, before our time. Do you, I mean, I mean, how many full storms do you think there's been? Quite a few, I'd imagine. Quite a few, yeah. I mean, you were you were at, you were at college. What did you say? Ten years ago? No, a little <laughs> bit longer than that. Yeah, yeah, a little <laughs> bit longer than that. You were, you were thinking about flying cars. Uh, uh, um, yeah, I mean, in traffic, we ban it in the magazine. I think uh, anyone who talks about the Jetsons um, <laughs> gets uh, gets edited. Normally, gets edited out because people always talk about the Jetsons as soon as uh, flying cars are mentioned. The uh, the old cartoon where they all used to zoom zoom about. Yeah. Um, so you know, it's, it's it's long, long been a dream to have to have flying cars. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's a, there's been there's there seems to be two strands now, doesn't doesn't there? There's, you've got your Evertols, and then you've got these you know these other flying cars, which um, you know, looking looking at this one, it's sort of like you know what I sometimes call them driving planes as yeah. opposed to flying. Cars. Yeah, because it it's a bit more like a a plane that, that can go on the road. Because does it? I was looking at some videos before we started chatting. Does it need? Does it always need a runway to, to, to land and take off? Yes, it does. It, you, you still you still need a runway. Um, but the the key aspect is that you can you can drive to the to the airport uh, and in the same vehicle. So uh, and and then you know, eventually not get out of your vehicle in order to take off. So uh, it, it does at the moment still need a, 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 a runway. I mean, it, it is, they do have that problem uh, of, of, of credibility slightly in that, you know, you have that, that cachet of the, of the Jetsons and, and, you know, how, you know, you know, that back to the future car and, you know, where's my, where's my jetpack, where's my flying cars kind of thing. But I really did get the sense from, from talking to, to uh, Robert that he's, that, that they take it very seriously and uh, they, they, more so they're taking certification really seriously as well, um, which which is telling. I mean, uh, there's a couple of other projects at the moment. A Chinese company uh, bought into a, an American firm called Terrafugia and there's a there's a company out in Eastern Europe that are, that are still ostensibly developing it, but it's really hard to do, really, really hard to do, which is why we haven't got one yet, you know, so which is why we're all sitting, still sitting in traffic normally, I, I suppose. Um, the other interesting thing is pilots, because it's all right designing these things, but you, you have to learn how to fly them as well, um, which is, a, which is a, a bit of a problem because 
um, you know, not not that many people know how to fly a plane. I mean, it's but more people know how to drive a car. So, um, do you? I don't know. Do you see a future for these products at all for these these kind of vehicles, Tom? I don't know. Well, you know, do you remember when we used to go into the office? Oh um, yeah, back in those days. Yeah, <laughs> we both used to have quite long commutes, didn't we? Into the office. We yeah, yeah, we did. Yeah, yeah. Stylish. But we would have loved a flying car back in those days, wouldn't we? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Straight over the top of London. Yeah, that would have that would have been lovely, yeah. Imagine starting your day that way instead of sitting behind a, a set of taillights. Yeah. That would have been great. I mean, I, I, but it comes back to this runway thing, I think. You know, if we can overcome the, you know, perhaps perhaps the auto, you know, perhaps autonomous systems will could help out with this this this, this issue of learning to fly it and mm. uh, greater greater automation. Yeah. Uh, perhaps. But then if the design requires a runway, you know, we'd have to convince our boss to build a runway uh, to land our flying cars on. Imagine being the first guy on your street who has a flying car sitting on their driveway. Now, would that not be awesome? You would. That would be great, wouldn't it? That would be awesome. I'm all for it. Send it. <laughs> Send it my way. Well, as soon as they're ready. Well, as soon as the test. Yeah, as soon as the. I mean, the guy developing developing them hasn't even been in been in the advanced prototype yet because it's so valuable. So, but as soon as they're developed, uh, I'm you know I'm, I'm going to be on that list to, to try one out, as I'm sure I'll see if, you, if I can do the same for you. But, I mean, the interview's great, and Robert's, I mean, he's thought of all these questions. He had a, he had a comprehensive answer for everything. So, uh, you know, if, you've, if you get a chance, then, uh, you know, please, you know, keep, keep going with the podcast and, and, and listening. Listen of course I will. No, I'm looking forward to listening to it, and it sounds, sounds, sounds really interesting. And um, I'll, uh, I guess we should stop prattling on and hand over to him, right? Let's do it. Okay, thanks a lot. So before that, it was a research project done by Dutch Aerospace Laboratories, uh, Technical University, some engineers. Okay. But uh, concept patenting and the developing of the concept uh, had been done before 2008. And then <clears throat> there was a concept ticking all the boxes. So uh, we decided to put our weight and investment behind it and also... Uh, uh, we're successful in finding additional investors to back the company. And that's how we started to build a team and a company in 2008. So uh, mm. for me, uh, 2008 was the real start. Yeah. So how, how many of you are there now? Is it a small team? Uh, 75. Oh, wow. Really? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm surprised. I had this impression that you would be um, like a small startup, like 15 to 20 people, but 17. No, 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 that, those days were gone, and uh, that was the situation until 2015. Okay, wow. And then we have grown stepwise, uh, of course, yeah, from, from concept work, there's, uh, there's 80% of the work still to be done, from a proof of concept to going to uh, a real tested, reproducible, uh, whatever you need uh, real product for the market. And on top, you have to develop the company into being able to deliver service, training, uh, after service, uh, production, uh, supply chain. So you build up all the functions you have in a normal company. Yeah. In the beginning, it's pure technical work. Uh, but uh, since 2014, 15, we have been building out the company in different directions, including, yeah, like I said, 
you know, we have uh, training available now on customers' training. We have uh, uh, yeah, build up, of course, marketing and sales starting somewhere in 2016. Uh, going to market, getting pre-orders. Uh, so, yeah, it's a phase development, but in total in the company, about 75 people working at the moment. Okay, great. So I guess you have all the, all the other functions come in, don't you? All the sales and, and business yeah. administration functions, sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I mean, the magazine I, I, I write for and, and run um, is for um, testing and development uh, engineers and professionals, um, and uh, we write a lot about flight testing and the technology. But I'd like to talk about the, the business side a little bit as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, obviously, I'm also aware in the position that I am that when I hear about flying cars, um, there's it's uh, how can I put this? There's a um, I wouldn't call it an image problem, but it's mm-hmm. kind of it's there's a there's a lot of uh, nonsense, a lot of um, a lot of uh, yeah, it's like an innocent story on the internet, right? You know, buying cars next yeah, year, yeah. you know. So uh, you've, yeah. you've got you've got to overcome that as well to be taken seriously. Um, but um, like I said, it appears to me things that things are happening quickly. Anyway, I'll get to the questions. Uh, how many have you sold so far? <laughs> Yeah, we are not disclosing that, but we have pre-orders in 14 countries at the moment. Oh, wow. Okay. And before Corona, we were uh, getting pre-orders more than one a week. Okay. Wow. All right. That's, that's great. Um, yeah. I, saw the, I saw the pricing on the website and I thought it would be a while before I can afford one of them. But yeah, well, that's, that's, of course, it's all new technology. That uh, uh, There's a lot of investments going on. It's uh, small quantities, especially in the beginning. Yeah. How that will evolve, we will see. But... As you know, being in the aviation world, nothing in aviation goes fast. No. Uh, no. Uh, no and to, to think in years and decades and not in months. <laughs> especially, especially when it's something new. In, in, in yeah. Yeah? yeah. It takes a very long time. Yeah. So what, but you're right. Uh, a big part of my job has been building credibility all the time. And it's, it's good now to see, for example, one of the... I recently got a Chinese uh, uh, high-level aviation guy who uh, broadcasted in China that the only feasible flying car is the Pel-V from the Netherlands. Okay, yeah. And he had about uh, over a million viewers uh, on his YouTube channel in one day. So those things help to get credible reports because I can say we are, but nobody will believe me. If others say it, uh, it's much more important to us. Yes, and that's so we we are, we are, I would say over that hurdle, but in the beginning you're right. And when you talk about we are building a flying car, everybody says yeah, right. <laughs> and same happened to me in 2008. I was called by some partner of KPMG who worked on this business plan with this technical team, and they called us and said we have a brilliant plan for a flying car. And my first reaction was yeah, right. Never going to spend a minute on it. <laughs> And uh, for some reason, we, we, we had this presentation for an hour and then we saw that it, it was really intriguing and it actually ticked most of the boxes. And for us, the most important thing, coming back to one of your questions uh, in the milieu sentence, is we build it within existing regulations. Mm-hmm. If that was not the business case, we wouldn't have started it. Yeah. Changing regulations in aviation can take decades. Yeah. So and to do that as a startup uh, is sort of a donkey shop plan. 
So it is a it is uh, it's classified as a as a as a auto gyro, right? As a gyro plane. No, no, it's uh, as a, a rotorcraft under CS twenty seven or FAR twenty seven or yeah CAA C twenty seven. So it's 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 the IKO twenty seven. Yeah. Uh, which is implemented in uh, most countries in the world, and mm-hmm. uh, yeah, under this rotorcraft standard, we are developing this product. So certification pass was clear from the beginning. Yeah. Okay. So already in 2009, we agreed with EASA strategy for certification under CS27. Uh, first, building a uh, the proof of concept, which is baptized the PEL V1. Yeah. We, and also from the beginning, we have not only focused on building something which flies and drives, but building something which complies with existing regulations, Yeah, which is a complete other approach to the design. So many new aircrafts are being built like, uh, let's start to build something new, and then we will see how we can adapt and change the regulations. We've, from the beginning, taken the other approach. And, of course, we have had numerous discussions with our design team. Can't we change those rules? No, we can't. (laughs) (laughs) Which put a lot of restrictions and a lot of challenges. But if you need to change regulations, like I said, it can take five to ten years before this is implemented. Mm. And it requires to be a credible company to get it implemented. (laughs) Yes. Even so... Even so, you must have uh, had to. You must have got some interested from interest from EASA, and that what you're doing isn't isn't normal, isn't usual. Yeah. yeah? So have you had to work very closely with them? With with uh, well, already for eleven years now. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, so certification is is the heart of an aviation company. And if you don't build with certification in mind from the beginning, you will never come to the end. Yeah. Yeah. So we see, and that's why 99% of aviation projects fail. Okay. Okay. Not because it's not feasible technically, maybe. Many of them are not. But because they are not built with the restrictions of the certification, all new things. And then for us, it's, it's, it's doubling up by, it's not only aviation certification, it's also road certification. Okay, T- tell me about that, please. Is it mean that uh, is that harder or easier? Or it's different. It's different. <laughs> <laughs> so road certification is, is there's, there's there's it's very clear what the requirements are. Yeah. So you have to design for those requirements, and once you go for the road admission testing, which we are in at the moment, we expect to be having a road admission uh, this summer. Uh, and then we have passed that hurdle and you can see the pelvis driving uh, on the normal road with a license plate. So, uh, but you, you do all the testing yourself because the requirements are very clear. The tests are very clear, so you go to a, te- to a test house and to, to testing facilities and in a couple of days you can do it if you have done your own work. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, aviation is a corporation with the aviation authorities to build a very safe new type. Yeah. Uh, and there's, yeah, there's, there's thousands of test reports you create. 
Well, in, in road certification, it's only a handful. <laughs> but presumably, you've had to do things like um, uh, test, crash test and, and, um, and make sure the headlights are right. Yeah, all, yeah. all of this. Yeah. In the end, it's also about 2,000 requirements yeah. which you can design for them. Yeah. While in aviation, there's not a list of requirements which says, <laughs> this is how you build a safe airplane. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So, so aviation is a eight to ten years close cooperation with your certification agent body. While in road certification, this cooperation is not necessary. You can do all in-house if you do your homework well. Uh, you can pass it in say one or two months' time. It, it sounds to me as if three quarters, two thirds of your job is about testing and certification in a way, right? Because you, you have to double. Well, my, 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 my estimation is that in, in an aviation project like ours, uh, but like any new type, I would say over 50% of your investment in man hours, capacity, uh, whatever, is in certification. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Right. And and if you look to the uh, urine aviation testing, so you know, but the references we find is that eight to ten years is a good standard for an experienced company. Yeah. So we are flabbergasted by all those people who haven't even started certification and say in three years' time we will be in the market. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. The less the less said about those people, the better. Um, so, um, so the big question is: Are you happy with where you are in in testing and certification at the moment for the for the Pal V? Um, yeah. So we have we have full agreement with EASA on the certification base. Yeah. Uh, which is a big big effort. It took about five six years. Yeah by continuously delivering proof of all the systems, the subsystems, the solutions, uh, test results, etc., 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 etc. So we are now in the, what we call the compliance demonstration phase. Yeah. Okay. So for all the, the component subsystems, systems coming out of the final production chain, uh, uh, go through systematic testing, and that's lots and lots of work. So the whole company changed into a, a, a testing and certification house. Yeah. Um, Which means partly also getting new people in. So uh, we have different skills now in the company than we needed four or five years ago. And you have the partnership with uh, GKN. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. That's well. very helpful. Yeah, of course, there's lots and lots of experience there. Mm. And that's, that's, that's focused on two things. One is the whole certification and everything which comes with that where, where they are great help. But we are also working on our own eVTOL concept where we work with the Dutch Channel Air, with GKN uh, uh, on, and also some Korean companies now to bring that to life. Uh, because all the capabilities we have built up over the last 10, 12 years in terms of certification, development, uh, and going forward into training, maintenance, all those things are very valid and necessary also to build an eVTOL company. Mm. Mm. So we have patented our own eVTOL, but we are not promoting it a lot because it's a product which will only be available in probably 8 to 10 years, like any eVTOL, we think. 
does it share design characteristics with uh, with the PAL V or? Of course, we reuse quite a lot of the technology. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Makes sense. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, so uh, the the PAL V, the production version of the PAL V, has that, yeah. has that been has that been up in the air yet? Has that been flown? No. So the, the one we have now is built under the full, uh, I would say, aviation methodology and systems but not yet under EASA control. Yeah. Uh, for us, it's a sort of dress rehearsal because we needed to build anyhow vehicles to do the whole road certification and road endurance testing. So the vehicles built under this now, which was uh, ready uh, at the Geneva uh, show, which was cancelled. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, and uh, based on what we learned, we are now improving the production systems and then the next uh, vehicles we will build will go for the final flight testing. Okay, so um, are, you, are you confident next year about, about your first deliveries? Do you think you'll hear that? Yes, of course, Corona might have an influence there, but uh, yeah, we are still uh, striving for delivery by the end of next year. Yeah, I guess you've got customers waiting, yeah? We have customers training. Yeah, you have customers training, of course. 80% of our customers do not have licenses. Wow, really? Yeah. Yeah, which, which shows, which confirms actually the market research that a flying car has a much, much bigger market than normal aviation. So it convinces people to become a pilot who didn't do that for an aircraft or a helicopter. Okay. We find also many customers who who did trial lessons for helicopters or aircraft and decided, well, in the end, it's not very useful because with my plane, I can go from a place where I don't want to leave to a place where I don't want to be. It's nice to fly around, but as a, a mode of transportation, a flying car is a much, much better tool than a helicopter or an aircraft. So can, can we talk just quickly about a typical customer in, in general terms? I, I, I have, let me, if I guess, it's a man, it's quite a rich man, maybe an older rich man, maybe, or am I wrong? Is there no typical customer? Well, yeah, I would say you're, you're, you're right, but also wrong, because okay. we have female customers. Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we have young female customers. <laughs> um, but predominantly, it's, it's, of course, people having enough money, either as an entrepreneur, and, and especially now, mm. at the beginning. Because uh, now you have really the early, early adopters. Mm -hmm. to, to reserve a vehicle, you cannot try out yourself yet. Uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, so we're only seeing the tip of the iceberg of the customers at the moment. And the number is much higher than we expected, which is also good. Uh, but yes, it's, it's, it's male. It's, uh, it's, it's a 35 till 55 yeah. Uh, entrepreneurial, innovative, uh, and most of our customers have specific missions they want to do with it. Yeah. So people sometimes think, well, that's sort of rich boys' toys. Uh, people don't just buy it because they want it. No. With most customers, they have specific things like, I have three businesses. How can I get there faster and with more fun with a flying car? Okay. Either summer home, customer, business, or whatever. So they have, they have a couple of destinations they want to do. Yeah, yeah. And of course, once they have it, which all new technology learns, 
once they have it, they discover new missions they can do. Yeah. Uh, but those, and then, then the other side of the business, which is uh, also starting up now, we, we didn't entertain it until now because we were focused on just a mobility tool. Mm-hmm. But we do have already uh, quite some reservations also from go- for governmental use. Okay. But people want to use them for policing, first response, border control, military. Yeah. But, you, I mean, you still, um, uh, it's still, you, you, you need a, an, a, an airstrip, a runway to take off and land still, don't you? You can't. Yeah, well, you need a flat piece of land of about 50 meters to land. Yeah. And you need, uh, uh, depending on, say, you need about 150 meters to take off, but there's a bit of handprint, uh, it takes you about 70 meters. Okay. So it's, it's, it's in terms of infrastructure, you don't need a lot. Okay, all right. So uh, it, it, does, it has to be... And then the difference, of course, is you, you only need it nearby. Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and that sometimes people forget that the big thing of a flying car is that it drives. Yeah. Lots of people are focusing on the aviation side, but from the aviation side, actually, it's not new. It's a gyroplane. What's the max speed on the ground, on the road? 170 kilometers an hour. Okay. Okay, sure. Right. Sure. Have you driven it? No, it's of course a very precious vehicle, which is uh, driven in uh, a <laughs> test environment with specific objectives. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> like flying and driving. So uh, at the moment, uh, all the test driving is done by our test driver. And this week, a, uh, a, one of those videos was about his experiences. Maybe you've seen it. Yes, I have. Yes, yeah. Okay. Uh, and that's uh, of course uh, predefined things you want to test. Testing is a very structured approach, and then the, the vehicle built is not just for fun and driving around, it's, it's to get all the test data out. <laughs> so I've, I've, I've been allowed to sit in it. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, uh, if we could just talk about the testing a little bit more. I mean, uh, what, I mean, what's the next big milestone that you're approaching? Is it... Um, is it, is it, I mean, well, what is it? Is it going up in the air? Or? Well, the next big milestone for us is road admission. Is what, sorry? Rota? Road admission. Oh, road admission. Okay. Yeah. So uh, that's due uh, this summer. Okay. Uh, which, which then is half of your certification. The, net, the other big milestone then is our supplemental type certificate for the whole drivetrain. Yeah. And then the next milestone is, uh, and that's in combination with our DOA. And the next one is uh, the, the propeller type certificate, which is a separate one. Okay. And then the next big one thereafter is, of course, starting flying, the whole final flight testing, up to type certification. Okay. And with type certification and also design organization, uh, production organization, maintenance organization approvals have to come in place. <laughs> yeah, they do. Yeah. Okay. So it's not only building a new type, it's building a new aviation company. Building a new company, sure. Which yeah. is uh, actually a rare thing done over the last 20 years. Okay. Yeah. Uh, building a, a EASA level, not a sports level, but an EASA, FAA level, professional aviation company 
uh, with all the DOA, POA maintenance, uh, everything in place at the ASA level and not at sports or LSA level is, is not done. Uh, it's done by a handful of companies over the last decades, okay. which is a big, big effort, but also a very valuable thing nowadays. Now many people want to enter the aviation space. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about that, how the market's changed even since you've started. But just, but just quickly before then, I mean, what do you see? What, uh, we've talked a little bit about how challenging it is to, to develop and certify a, an aircraft. Um, mm. uh, about, the, about the design itself, um, I mean, what's, what's, been, I mean what is, what's most challenging about the design of the aircraft? What's been the most difficult part for the engineers? Yeah, there's not one thing. No. Okay. So in, if, if there's one thing, it's weight, but that's in every aviation product. Absolutely, yeah. And for a flying car, it's definitely more challenging than for just an airplane because you add a lot of weight for the driving functionality and you still want a marketable aviation performance. And then the other thing is to combine, say, uh, uh, everything, the requirements of an airplane with the, the about 2,000 requirements you have for a road vehicle. Mm. Mm. So a very complex puzzle to get that into something which is uh, light enough to, in our case, fly still this 500 kilometers on one tank. <laughs> uh, and the other thing is, if you want to build a flying car, aviation by definition, has big surface areas. If it doesn't, it becomes a very unsafe thing. So you have big rotors or big wings because if, if you don't have this, your lift system is not effective, it's not efficient, it's not safe. If stall speeds go too high if you have a fixed wing. But that's very hard to deal with on the road. So if you look to many, many projects which tried to build a flying car and still two which are, I would say, seriously in, 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 in uh, building the flying car like the, the Aeromobile and, and the Terrafugia. Mm. Their wings are too small, so their stall speed is too high. They become unsafe planes. And on the roads, they are still six meters by 225, which on the road is also a very... Uh, a, a, a truck size, which you can hardly maneuver, especially because it's, it's, it's fragile aviation technology. So building something which you can fold, which everybody can fold in, in a couple of minutes, which is compact on the road, but still has the surface area which makes it safe in the air is the biggest challenge of a flying car, in which we succeeded very well. Uh, we don't have a stall speed. You can go to zero airspeed and you just descend safely, fully under control. You can give gas again, continue, land without an engine. Uh, but on the road, it's four meters by two meters. And it's 170 high, so it fits any parking spot, any parking garage. Uh-huh, yeah. So without doing any compromise on safety, by making your wings smaller than you, you need them to be, uh, we were successful in making something which is compact enough, like a compact small car. And that has probably been the biggest challenge. And then also be able to fold it into those positions and fix it in a way that it's safe in all circumstances and can be done by anybody. Yeah. In yeah. a couple of minutes. Yeah. 
it's uh, it's it's automatic, is it the the folding process? Partly, partly. Yeah. So so those things you have to check anyhow when you walk around. We didn't make automatic because that doesn't help you. Okay. Uh, yeah. Why why make something automatic and then you have to step out and then check whether the automation did the right job? Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, so so we, we don't think it's wise to make everything automatic because then you you have hard times to inspect it. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, I saw, you, you mentioned the stalling, and I saw the, the simulation um, video on, on YouTube, uh, yeah. test pilot running a simulation. Have you have you run a lot of simulations? I mean, what ground testing have you done, and is, is what, what role has simulation and new technologies played in, in that testing? Yeah, so to, to uh, the most clear answer is probably the third guy we hired was a simulation guy. <laughs> <Okay. Yeah. laughs> so we embarked on a route where we said we need to simulate this current state-of-the-art technology as much as possible, the whole design before we even start flying it. But for gyroplanes, there were no simulators in the world. Oh. So we had to build this technology parallel to the whole design. And the PEL V1 was actually next to a proof of concept for certification and for the technology, also a tool to validate our simulator. Yeah. And uh, I'm talking now back in 2011-12. In 2012, we did a lot of flight testing. All the parameters we measured compared them to the simulated data and everything was within 10% of accuracy. Okay, wow. Right. And since then we have been validating our simulator technology also to existing gyroplanes, to existing helicopters, to existing planes, have been improving it all the time. So simulation is part and parcel of the whole design process. Mm. Mm. Both road and air. Mm -hmm. So also the whole road performance. Uh, and actually, road simulation is much more challenging than air. Because? You well, know, for example, to simulate the behavior of a tire on the road, you have about 250 parameters. Just the tire. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So air is very predictable. Yeah. Road surface is not. Okay. Sure. And 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 um, uh, and how about noise? Uh, and and how, how noisy are the, are, the, are the aircraft when they're flying? Is it, I've never seen. Well, by it definition, a, a gyroplane is far less noisy than a helicopter. Yeah. <laughs> so it's much better than a helicopter. Uh, similar to a fixed-wing airplane. And for road reasons, we have to do much more in terms of uh, road uh, noise dampening. Mm -hmm. especially in the exhaust because the road required there are no air requirements or hardly any air requirements comparable to the road requirements so we have to okay. comply with so okay. in, in terms of noise it's aviation noise mostly the propeller uh, we did build our own propeller which is a pretty silent propeller but it's a propeller so uh, but you, in, in aviation terms, it's 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 uh, it's pretty silent, uh, and on the road we comply with the existing standards, which are necessary. Just just a few more questions, Robert, and I and I and I've just had a thought. Would you? I mean, your 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 company is developing a flying car. Are you fifty percent aviation company and fifty percent automotive company, 
or is it a different percentage? No, I would say 70, 30, 70%, 80% an aviation company, 20% a, a, a road company. Okay. But it, 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 it took a lot of time to get both backgrounds in the company, either from the automotive or the motorbike world on the one side and the aviation world on the other side, to get an understanding amongst them. Mm-hmm. Because most of the aviation people, they had this idea, well, the road is easy. Mm-hmm. And people on the road had this idea, aviation is easy. <laughs> but they, 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 they even had to develop a common language and a common understanding of the challenges and the requirements, etc., mm-hmm. which takes years. Yeah, yeah, okay, interesting. Okay. So in terms of, of culture, in terms of control, certification, strictness, it's definitely an aviation company. Okay. Cool. But in terms of requirements of the vehicle, there's quite a lot of things you wouldn't imagine coming from an aviation company. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Just, just, uh, just finally, we, you talked a little bit earlier on, we talked a little bit about the type of person that, would, that might buy it. And what's this, and the type of journey also, the, the market... This, the type of flights that will be taken that will be taken. Um, where will they be? Would you imagine they will be city to city, or inside urban areas, or uh, or, or, or everything? Um, well, not. It's door to door traffic where you will fly parts and where you will drive parts, and you will not fly in cities. You may fly over cities, but your landing place will also be always being at the at the outskirts or the existing strips mm. and then you drive to your destination without leaving anything behind mm-hmm. so the big benefit of a flying car something which flies and drives it it's really door-to-door traffic mm. while with a normal aircraft or helicopter you at least need two but most cases you need three vehicles to go from door to door you leave two behind which you have to pick up on your way back and when weather doesn't allow you to fly you have to leave your airplane or helicopter behind. You go home in another way. You have to pick it up back again. Hassle, 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 hassle. Yeah. With a flying car, you get rid of all this hassle. So your planning certainty gets much better. Your weather independence is much less. And you have much more freedom compared to a helicopter or a plane. Uh-huh. So that's why flying cars are much more useful for mobility for a helicopter, you can have very specific missions, but that's it. And a plane is actually pretty useless for mobility. It's nice to fly around, but there's too much hassle and too much uncertainty to really use it for mobility. That dramatically changes with a flying car. And that's why research from MIT and others predict that flying cars will be, the flying car market will be much, much bigger than the current airplane market, but not, yeah, it will be in size very small compared to the car market. Yeah. Because people need money, they need to get a license. So still, it's pretty specific, but it's much more useful than the existing aviation solutions. Okay. Well, then people will use it to probably fly distances, cross barriers outside urban areas, drive into urban areas. And whether that's city to city or town to city or rural mobility or whatever, but it's definitely not urban mobility in the sense that you fly in cities from one destination to the other. 
that's a completely different market. Yeah. Okay. That was that's kind of my final question. You're kind of talking about it already, um, because obviously when you started in 2008, this term of urban air mobility, the idea of EV tolls and and drones everywhere and electric air, Uber and Uber in 2008 was nowhere. Uh, do you do you? Um, I mean, the market's changed a lot, hasn't it? You know, uh, around you almost. Do you, where do you see Palvi fitting into this this market? I think you were just really talking about yeah. it, wasn't you? But it's, 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 it, I mean, it's definitely going to, I get the sense of it, it's definitely going to happen. And it's taken you a long time to get yeah. where you are, you know, but you think you're going to yeah, be. So we, we were in a very thrilling time in aviation. Mm. There's, there's, there's not a, there hasn't been a big change over the last 40, 50 years, I would say. Mm -hmm. And due to technology change, we are now at the start of new ways of flying. And that has to do with electric propulsion, uh, multi-propeller, rotor solutions, which are possible due to uh, cheap logic and, and software, etc. So we are inventing new ways of flying. And there's over whatever, 250 companies in the world having different design solutions. And, and, and history tells us maybe five or 10 of them will be really solutions. And if you look at many of those, you can already now, yeah, um, probably 200 of them will never be able to certify <laughs> because they are not safe enough or aerodynamically they are crazy. So there's so much fuzz around at the moment, but I'm, you're right. Within the next decades, we will have for various solutions, different ways of flying, which will mature and become commercial. Mm. And in, 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 say, full freedom flying cars, we are five to 10 years ahead of everybody. Mm. It's one of the segments. And uh, the other segment is eVTOL, where people tend to call that air taxis. But a taxi brings you from door to door. Mm. An eVTOL never will. No. So an eVTOL is actually much more a, a, a bus or a metro. It brings you through the air from a station to a station. So I, I think air taxi is a sort of misleading term because it gives expectation of what it can do, which it doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> you always, and that's why Uber, of course, is very fond of eVTOLs because they have to arrange a car to bring you to the platform. Then the platform will fly you to another platform like, like the metro, and then they need a car to bring you to the home. Okay. And then this will always start piloted. There's no, that's the general understanding of the industry. We need to prove it's safe. That requires a backup of a pilot to be in. It will not start autonomous, but in the end it will become autonomous and then it can become cheaper. Same will happen for the PELV. So flying cars will also become autonomous and then it will be easier and cheaper. So autonomy will also be a big thing in general in aviation. And all those technologies help to develop. So autonomous technology now will become available in suites for us to implement due to the fact that this much bigger market is coming. So to us, it's a big blessing that all of this is happening. And like I said, we are also having our own eVTOL development. Yeah. And because to us, it's another market segment, complete different application. 
which has uh, yeah new challenges but also new yeah, new opportunities. So eVTOL is a diff complete different segment, not competing. It's the next opportunity to us where we can apply lots and lots of our existing capabilities which we have built up over the last 10 years. Okay. Okay, thank you for that answer. Just just one last question. Um, I mean, it's I'm I'm impressed uh, by your vision and your your um, determination to realise that vision. As I'm sure you know, I, and so it's not just you; it's the people that that work for your company as well. And I I believe that you're going to make it happen. Do you do you, do you think um, do you think you're going to disrupt the market when when you do uh, when when the car when the flying car does happen or um, it, it, the question is which market? So yeah. in, in, the, in the car market, we will be a niche product. Yeah. In the aviation market, we will definitely disrupt the market because having something which can fly and drive is so much more useful than something which only flies that it will be a much bigger market, giving a lot of opportunity to flight schools, to, to maintenance shops, uh, to airstrips, airfields. Uh, so, yeah, business will grow significantly in aviation due to the coming of flying cars. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. And thank you, Robert, for that interview and Tom uh, for the chat at the beginning. Uh, I hope you enjoyed that uh, and found it interesting and that you continue to listen to our podcast series, uh, which we plan to continue for the foreseeable future. Uh, thanks very much. Bye-bye.